Nehemiah chapter 3, we've been making our, our journey around the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah faced a great challenge, but he had great faith in his great God. But he would have accomplished very little had there not been great dedication on the part of the people who helped him to rebuild this city and the wall around this city. And, but Nehemiah uh, gave all the credit. He said, we built the wall for the people had a mind to work. And so as they build this wall, everyone's working together. They, they had the purpose uh, that, we, that they would not be a reproach. Uh, they had a, a pattern. Nehemiah planned the work. And they all worked together. Um, then they, they, uh, the, but there were people involved. And so let's read about the people who were involved in this water gate. And so we begin reading in verse 26. Nehemiah 3 and verse 26. Moreover, the Nethanims dwelt in Ophel, Ophel, unto the place over against the water gate, toward the east and the tower that lieth out. After them, the Tekoites repaired another piece over against the great tower that lieth out, even unto the wall of Ophel. From above the horse gate repaired the priests, every one over against his house. After them repaired Zadok, the son of Immer, over against his house. And we'll be, stop our reading there. The water gate is where we're, where we're going to be looking tonight. Now, outside of Jerusalem, on the east side, there was uh, this uh, spring called the Gihon Spring. And you can see the water gate there. Uh, on the right-hand side, the east gate. And this is where that, uh, this, this uh, wall came out from Jerusalem to protect the Gihon Spring. The Gihon Spring was on the outside of Jerusalem. And it was there that King David had broken into the city. His men had found a channel leading from the Gihon Spring into the city, and they had crawled in through this through this little tunnel, this Canaanite tunnel, and they had taken the city of Jerusalem. And Charles Warren found that tunnel, that Canaanite tunnel. He also found that tunnel built by King Hezekiah uh, much later on. But that, was, uh, that, that, that tunnel had uh, brought the water from the water gate to the fountain gate at the bottom. And we showed you that picture of Pastor Moore crawling down into that tunnel uh, with us uh, uh, several years ago. But that gate was, um, let's see, where do I, put, where do I point? <laughs> but that, uh, that tunnel led to this Gihon Spring, that, that Canaanite tunnel. This is the spring where, uh, the, the, near this water gate, where King Solomon was crowned king. Zadok the priest anointed Solomon king in this exact spot where the Gihon Spring was. But it's also where they uh, had a great a place for a revival that would happen here in Nehemiah chapter 8, which we'll look at in just a moment. And so thinking about this, this spring, this water, uh, the Bible uses water as a symbol, as a picture of something that truly can cleanse us, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is the water that washes us clean as well. There are many things that uh, people try to do to stay clean and to uh, to stay hygienic, you know, we think about all that happened during during COVID and uh, the things that uh, 
that were, were tried to keep people clean. But I remember hearing about a pastor once who went to uh, someone's house. He and his wife were asked to dinner by one of the church members. And he knew she was a bad housekeeper, but he still agreed to go to dinner. And uh, when they sat down at the table, he tried to politely ask he, about the dishes on the table. He noticed they were the dirtiest dishes he had ever seen in his life. And so he, he said, um, do you mind, were these dishes washed? And uh, he ran his fingers over the grit and the grime, and she smiled, and she said, yes, they're as clean as soap and water could get them. So they had their dinner, and they felt a bit uncomfortable, but they, were, they, they blessed the food anyway, and they started eating, and the, the food was very delicious, and the, the pastor complimented, complimented the lady despite the dirty dishes. But when the dinner was over, the hostess took the dishes outside, and she yelled, here's soap, here water. <laughs> and uh, that's, how, that's what she meant by as clean as soap and water could get them, you know, but uh, you know, there's some things that we think that might make us clean in this world, but really there's only one thing that can truly help us to be clean. As, as we see in God's Word, the Bible says that His Word is, is like the water. The water gate, the water gate here, it, it led from the city of David to the Gihon Spring. The Ophel here in this verse is a hill that uh, is where the city of David uh, near where the city of David was, where the king's palace was. Uh, now, by the way, this is the only gate here. It says over against the water gate. It's the only gate here that it never says that the gate was, had to be repaired. And we'll, we'll think about that more in just a moment. Who is the one? Who are the ones who uh, dwelt in this place over against the water gate and the, the people here who built the wall around this water gate? It was these people called the Nethanims. Who were the Nethanims? The Nethanims were temple servants who were descendants from the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites in Joshua 9.23 were people who tried to deceive the people of God. They tried to deceive Joshua uh, and to, into making a league with them. And because they had deceived them, they had to become bearers of water uh, for the people of God. They were drawers of water. And uh, naturally, they would live near the only source, the only, uh, this important source of water for the city of Jerusalem. Yesterday, we saw that the fountain gate reminds us of the Holy Spirit of God, but the water gate here reminds us of the Word of God. And as Christians, we not only need to come in through the, the sheep gate and know Christ as our Savior and come to that, uh, that pool, come to that place of not being ashamed, sharing our faith there like we saw at the fish gate, getting grounded in, in, uh, in, in, in our Christian faith like we saw at the old gate, having, uh, being ready for the ups and downs of, of life like we saw at the valley gate, and being able to deal with sin like we saw at the dung gate, and, but also having that Holy Spirit to help us to have the power to deal with our sin like we saw at the gate of the fountain. But there's something else that you have to have in your Christian life, and that is the Word of God. Turn with me, if you will, to Nehemiah chapter 8. It was at the water gate that Ezra and the priests conducted a great uh, revival, a, a, a Bible meeting, a preaching, a Bible conference meeting, a gospel mission, if you will. And they explained 
the word of God, the scriptures to the people. Look with me, if you will, at uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. And by the way, again, the water gate is the gate that they chose. This representing God's word, it's not said that it had to be repaired as the others. That suggests to us it's the word of God that truly lives and abides forever. It will never fail. The Bible doesn't need to be changed. The Bible doesn't need to be uh, repaired. The Bible doesn't need to be improved. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. Let's read verses 1 to 4. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Israel the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the, ch- the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mathatiah and Shema, and Ananiah and Urijah, and Hilkiah and Messiah on his right hand, and on his left hand, Pedaiah and Mishael, and Melchiah, and Hashem, and Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. The, the whole city has been in ruins. What do they need? What do they turn to? What does uh, Ezra emphasize? What does Nehemiah emphasize? They emphasize the word of God needs to be given. The Bible tells us that in Psalm, Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, if we're ever going to be fruitful, if we're ever going to be solid in our lives like fruitful trees, the Bible says we have to be like trees by the rivers of water. It says the, the people that are like that are those that delight in God's word. Psalm, Psalm chapter 1 tells us, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, meditating in God's word. And so that's why Nehemiah calls for this gospel mission, for the preaching of God's word. That's why he invites Ezra, the scribe, to come and be a teacher there. The walls were finished, the gates were hung, but that's, that, the material needs of the city had been met. But now it's time to focus on the spiritual needs. And so they go to the place that represents God's word, this, this cleansing. They, he, and they instruct the people to confess their sin. Chapter 8 is where they instruct them. Chapter 9 is where they respond and they start confessing their sins. And chapters 10 to 12 is where they, they blow the trumpets and they, they march around these walls and these gates with trumpets and singers. And then they cleanse uh, the people. So it's important to note that the first thing they did, though, after the walls were finished, was they read the Word of God. They read the Word of God. Just the physical things is not enough. We need the spiritual uh, life that, uh, that comes from God's Word. God's Word is so important. God has spoken. We have a God who speaks. Some people say, well, why doesn't God just come down here and talk to me and show me that, he, that He's real and just say something? Well, the answer is, he has. He has. God has spoken. God is the God who speaks. We would know nothing about God. 
We would know nothing about heaven unless he revealed it. Otherwise, we'd just be making it a lot. But he has revealed so much of it, and we are to just study it. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We not only need to have the Bible, we need to open the Bible. We need to study the Bible. We need to rightly divide the Bible, learn how to study it, learn how, how the different divisions and dispensations we have to learn all of these things, but it's, it, it does take work. It takes work to rebuild this, these cities, these, these burnt down, ruined, this ruined wall. But, you know, it also takes work to, to rebuild the ruin in our nation. Think about the emphasis here in Nehemiah ch- uh, chapter 8. We'll come back to this in a moment. But the same is true in the book of um, uh, 1 Timothy. uh, or to Timothy, I'm sorry. It says in chapter 3 that that everything was crumbling and will be crumbling in the last days. It'll be a day of religious formality. They'll they'll have a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power thereof. It says that that people will be burdened with sins and various lusts in, 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 in the last days. It says that people will resist the truth in chapter 3 as well. It says that, that, that people will be, uh, it'll be an age of reprobate minds going away from the Bible. And it'll be an age of rampant deception. People will dece- it'll be an age where people are deceived and being deceived. And it says they will refuse sound doctrine. And instead, they'll accept lies. They'll, they'll turn onto fables, it says. They won't endure sound doctrine, but they'll turn unto fables. So people are, are hungry for that. I mentioned the other day that, that Wiccan is the fastest growing religion uh, in England at the moment. Witchcraft. And they say this is a revival of, the, of our original religion, witchcraft. It's, it's, uh, it, it's everywhere. I went to um, a little market in our city of Peterborough. There were 20 stalls in the city center. Did you know that 12 out of those 20 were about witchcraft and about crystals and things like that. And so, but why? Because people want to tur- turn to something spiritual, but they don't want to submit themselves to God. They don't want to humble themselves to that. And so people will turn to, to fables, but they will not endure sound doctrine. What's the answer in that same chapter? That same chapter, one Tim- 2 Timothy chapter 3, that describes the last days as the days of crumbling spirituality and crumbling religion, the Bible says the Word of God is the answer. And if you read 2 Timothy chapter 3, you'll see the emphasis given just as in Nehemiah's day. The emphasis in our day is to be the Word of God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we are to know doctrine. And we are to live it out with, it says, with faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. We have to know it. It says, continue in the things that you know are true. Remember, it says, and and, uh, some other words here, know, know the Scriptures. He says, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation and are profitable for doctrine. It tells you what what to believe. For reproof, it tells you where you go wrong. For correction, how to make it right. And instruction in righteousness, how to do what is right. That the man of God may be perfect and truly furnished. We're empty when we become Christians uh, spiritually. And, and what do we need? We need to be truly furnished when you go into a new house 
It needs to be furnished. And from top to bottom, we need to be furnished, truly furnished, unto all good works. But not only do you need to know them, that was known the Holy Scriptures, then he continues in the next chapter, preach the word. Not just know it and continue in it and, uh, and remember it, but he says, preach it, preach the word. Uh, that is what is profitable. The word of God can do the work, preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. So what is the emphasis in Nehemiah and what is the emphasis to be in the last days as well? The Word of God. That's what is cleansing. That is what can wash clean. And so, first of all, uh, he said Nehemiah and, and uh, Ezra emphasize the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, The primary task of the church and of the Christian minister is the preaching of the Word of God. The primary task of every church. But so many of the churches have been distracted by everything else imaginable and neglected this gate. They've let it crumble. And whenever this crumbles, whenever preaching of God's Word crumbles, society crumbles. The most decadent periods of history of the church have been in periods when preaching of the word of God has declined. If God is to work in his people, if God is to work through his people, it is only as they respond positively to his word and the preaching of his word. And so what do they do? First of all, it says they have to understand the word. Ezra not only uh, read it, he had these men alongside him. Did you just read all those names in in verse 4? Chapter 8, verse 4. All those names of those men, I won't, I won't read them again. But, uh, but you know, here, here's the preacher preaching, and he's got people at his side. What are they for? They're to go amongst the people and make sure everybody understands. And so it's not just the preacher, it's all of us together. And we, we sang the song at the very beginning, Make the message clear and plain. Christ receiveth sinful men. We need people who can... Go alongside of others. When you're having your cup of tea, if you, have, if you do that on Sunday after church, you know, let's, let's make sure people, we know where people are at, that they understand. The Bible's not a magic book that changes people just by having it under your pillow or just by reading it even or just by reciting it even. Um, so many people, they, they have rote repetition of scripture, but that's that's not what the Bible is. It has to be understood. We have a we have our local demon possessed man, or he says he has seven demons uh, who lived across the street from our church building. And uh, I remember having some Bible college students painting our fence outside the church building. And I went to get them some Subway sandwiches at the local spa shop. And uh, I got a phone call, Pastor. There's somebody here. He's He's just jumped out from behind the hedge and shouted and we fell off the ladder while we were trying to paint and we, we don't know what to do. He says he's demon possessed. I said, oh, that's Andy, you know. And uh, so I ran back over and uh, I said, hi, Andy. I said, How, you know, have, have you read that Bible that I gave you at all? He said, no, I, I can't get anything out of it. I just put it under my pillow. But it's not helping me at all. And I said, well, it doesn't work by osmosis. You know, it doesn't just seep into your mind. You have, to, you have to read it. You have to understand it. And I said, you have to get rid of the drugs. and You have to get rid of the Ouija board out from under your bed. And his eyes got really big. He said, 
How did you know I had a Ouija board under my... He'd forgotten. He had told me the week before about the Ouija board under his bed. But, you know, we have to, we have to listen to it. We have to understand it. Six times in Nehemiah chapter 8, it uses the word understanding. In verse 2, in verse 3, in verse 7, in verse 8, in verse 12, in verse 13. It says the people old enough to understand. In verse number 3. In the parable of the sower, the Lord's emphasis was on understanding the word of God. He compared understanding and receiving the word of God to the seed being planted and taking root and bearing fruit. Think about uh, what it says about this man, Ezra, who's the, who's the preacher at this gospel mission, if you will. He was the ideal man for this outdoor uh, meeting. He was a priest and he was a scribe. It said he had, he had prepared his heart, and this is in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, he had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel. To do, to do it and to teach it. To understand it, to do it, and to teach it. That would be a great life verse for each one of us, wouldn't it? I want to understand God's word. I want to do God's word. And I want to teach God's word. My wife was reading one of the Lord's uh, commands. Do and teach these things. And she said that, that, that God put on her heart to be involved somehow in teaching God's word to others, to children, and to other ladies. So... They, uh, here here they, they are wanting this to happen. They, they, he had prepared his heart. He had come to Jerusalem about 14 years before Nehemiah had arrived. He's already been seeking the Lord to bring the people back to the ways of the Lord ever since the book of Ezra. And uh, they, they chose this, this water gate in the Bible. Uh, this is very interesting. In the Bible, uh, drinking water is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And I alluded to this yesterday, uh, but let's look at it uh, in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he... Of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the Holy Spirit is like that fountain of living waters springing up inside of you that Jesus talked as well with the woman at the well about. So, so he says, come unto me, you that thirst, and, and you will have living waters. But when it comes to not just waters inside of us, but the but. But when it comes to water that cleanses us, that is a picture, it seems, of the Word of God. So a fountain of water is a picture of the Spirit of God, but a washing water is a picture of the Word of God. For example, look at John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 3. This is a symbol or a picture here at this water gate. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And in Ephesians 5 verse 26 it says about the washing of water by the word. So it's refreshing to our soul when we receive the word of God 
and we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us. We have to yield to it. And thank you, Brother Alistair, for your testimony about finally going to that gospel meeting and hearing the preaching of God's word and yielding to it. And that's what each one of us needs to do. So they brought the, the book. On the first day of the seventh month, that's like the Jewish New Year, which we've just experienced just recently here. Once again, this seventh month was a special time. and It was the Feast of the Trumpets. The Day of Atonement was the, was the tenth day. The Feast of the Tabernacles was on the fifteenth day to, until the twenty-first day. So it was the perfect time for the nation to get right with the Lord, to make a fresh new start, to make a fresh new beginning. And we can make a fresh new beginning, but you don't have to wait. It can be even today. The book was brought. It says they brought the book of the law. So that's probably uh, the books of Moses, the foundation. Uh, But he read it from morning. It says, uh, first of all, it says he got a pulpit of wood. I believe this is the only time a pulpit is mentioned in the Bible. And he faced the people. they're, They're at the water gate. They're at the street by the water gate. And in verse 4, it says he names these 13 men that stood with him. And he, then he not only took the book, it says he opened the book. We read to verse 4. Let's read verses 5 and 6. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped their Lord with their faces to the ground. When Israel lifted the scroll and unrolled it to the passage he was reading, the people who were seated honored the Lord by standing. They they wanted to hear. They, They knew they would not just be hearing a mere man's words. There was a respect. They knew that it was the very word of God. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13, this is not the words of men, this is the words of God. Peter said, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God or breathed by God. And then it says that he started reading and they stood and listened for five or six hours from morning until midday. And that continued, it says in verse 18, more, they, didn't, they wanted more. It continued for a whole week. That's why I called it a, a gospel mission. But could you imagine five or six hours? I promise I won't do that quite tonight. Did you know that the Puritans, they used to try to keep people awake? Because they used to meet all day on the Lord's Day. And the deacons uh, in the Puritan churches, in, at least in, in America, they would have a long stick. And they would have a feather on the end of that stick. And if anybody fell asleep, it was their job to to wake them up with the feather. And if that didn't work, the other side of the stick had a rubber ball where they can bonk them on the head. And uh, but but, you know, these people, they had this desire. They didn't even need the feathers or the sticks. Uh, They they wanted to hear the word of God. They were hungry for they were thirsty for it. More than their necessary food, Job says, uh, he desires God's word. Uh, he, it says, he blessed the Lord, the great God. It, you know, we usually, we, we, there's a blessing after the script. We say, may God bless the reading of his word sometimes in churches. But, but here he says, may we, God bless us before we read it. May God help us to hear it. And the people said, amen, amen. Even before they heard what it was going to say, they said, yes, yes, we agree. Even before they heard it. 
So be it, in other words. Uh, They weren't worshiping the Bible. They were worshiping the Lord who had spoken to them through the Bible. And may the Lord help us to have this respect for God's word. Do you remember, have you ever heard of the, uh, the painting in the British Gallery in London? It's a painting of Queen Victoria. And the title of the painting is The Secret of Britain's Greatness. Uh, the little plaque underneath the painting. But it's a picture of Queen Victoria presenting a large Bible to an African chieftain. And the chief had said, what is the secret of Britain's greatness? And she said, this is the secret of Britain's greatness. And she sent God's word uh, around the world as well. So we need to give attention. We, we, should be, we have a desperate need in our services to show more respect, have more reverence for the word of God. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, give attention to reading. He's talking about that public reading of God's word. It's so important. But not only did he read it, he explained it. Look at verses 7 and 8. And Jeshua and, ba- and Bani and Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shebathai, Hodijah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josebed, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites caught, here's some, some more people now, caused the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. Uh, just down the road from where, where we live is a, is a town called Lutterworth, famous for uh, the jet engine, but uh, it's also fam- by Mr. Whittle, but it's also famous for Mr. Wycliffe, and that's where he translated the Bible into English. Uh, he, did, he didn't know original Greek or, or Hebrew, so he just translated it from Latin. It would be many years later that William Tyndale would translate it from, from Greek, and he tried to do Hebrew, but he was burned at the stake before he could do it. But, but he did what he could, and, uh, but he not only translated the Bible into English, he got the Lollards to go two by two throughout this land and explain it, preach it as clearly as they could. Many of them were killed. They never did kill Mr. Wycliffe for translating the Bible into English, but when he was buried, I took our teenagers there, I said, can you see if you can find John Wycliffe's grave? He was buried here. And they went around the graveyard, they said, we can't find it. I said, that's right, because they, the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church was so angry that he had done this, that he had translated the Bible into English. They dug up his bones. They burned them. They threw them into this creek right here. And uh, John Fox said that just as these, that the ashes from his bones went into this creek and then into the River Swift and then into the River Thames and then into the Atlantic Ocean, and around the world, so they couldn't stop the Word of God from spreading throughout the world. And you cannot stop. Once we release God's Word and, and, and preach it, it can do its work. Uh, just think about uh, how they, they then not only... Um, by the way, here is something that uh, John Wycliffe said... Um, Well, that's too long of a quote. I'm going to skip that. I'm looking at the clock here. But that's 600 years. Um, It goes back 600 years ago. But between uh, the law being written and uh, Ezra reading it, a thousand years had elapsed. And so they had to explain it. They had to to give the meaning of it. And then in verses 9 to 12, it says they not only understood it, but they rejoiced in it. Verse 9 says, And Nehemiah, which is... 
the Tershatha, the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, and said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them, for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. You know, think about the conviction that these people had, the conviction and the grief. They mourned over their sins. The Bible says in Romans 3.20, By the law is the knowledge of of sin, and the, but just the reading of the law can't save us. It can only convict us and convince us that we need to be saved. But there's also in God's word something to rejoice about: that not only are we sinners, but there is a Savior. The Bible says in Jeremiah 15 verse 16, "Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and Thy word was unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart." May God's word. May God's word, which tells us about our Savior, cause us to rejoice. We may, we may be sad for a moment, but then we can rejoice. We spoke about uh, why, we, why we need to rejoice in Christ, even in the difficult times. Have you ever heard the illustration of the parachute? How if, if, uh, if you were given a parachute and say, put on this parachute, it'll, it'll give you a better flight. And then as you put it on, people start to laugh at you for wearing a parachute. And you might take it off and say, I don't, I don't, I, this, I don't like this parachute. You know, but you didn't really put on the parachute for the right reason. You're not trusting in the parachute. But if you were to be told this parachute, you, you, the, the plane is going down, where you're going to die, put on this parachute, it's going to save you. Then if people are laughing at you, you won't care. If you hit any turbulence, you're just going to cling even tighter to that parachute. And so what we need to do is we need to, we need to uh, take on God's word and we can rejoice in it because it's, it, is our, it tells us of our salvation. Not only do we need to take the word of God, we need to learn how to share it with other people. The Bible says in Ephesians that we should take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's the sword of the spirit. That, that's going to lead us. We're going to try to, to look very quickly tomorrow at the horse gate along with the east gate. But the horse gate reminds us of battle. We are in a battle. And uh, Solomon had this, uh, this horse gate, that he, uh, the, these stables that he had built. He wasn't supposed to trust in horses. Moses had said, if there's ever a king in Israel, they should not multiply unto themselves horses, and they should not multiply unto themselves wives. What did Solomon do? He multiplied to himself horses, and he multiplied to himself many wives. He trusted in these horses. Uh, but, you know, it is, from the, it is from this place that Jesus is going to one day come back. He's going to come back on a horse, isn't he? He's going to come back on a white horse. And he's going to, the Bible says, and we'll, we'll be following behind him on white horses. There's a great battle that's raging. And it's going to continue raging. And uh, during the great tribulation, it's going to rage. And people will know that this is a great battle between good and evil. But the Bible tells us that while we're still in this battle, which will be won by Christ when he comes back on that white horse, we are to be involved in a battle as well. And what is our weapon? It's the word of God. 
the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit uses this weapon, and he, the Bible says it can reach the joint and the marrow and the thoughts and intents of the heart. You can't reach people's souls, but God's Word can. You have an ally within every person you speak to. And so we need to get them the Word of God. It takes a little bit of sword practice when you start speaking to people about, uh, about the Bible. But get out there and, and, and practice and use God's Word. And may the Holy Spirit use it in people's lives. Take, but the Bible says we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. It's a spiritual battle. And so may the Lord give us our spiritual weapon, which is the word of In these last days, what do we need to do? Preach the word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our Savior's, uh, the knowledge of our Savior, which we have in your word. Father, we pray that you'll help others to have knowledge of him as well. We know that it can be revealed to them, but you, we cannot know what you think unless you speak. But thank you that you have spoken. Thank you for your word. We, we pray that people will not only hear it, but understand it and believe it. In Christ Jesus' name we pray.